You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. talking about Toy Story 4 today. Uh, it was a pretty good movie. I thought it was the funniest um, of all of them, but it's only been out for three or four weeks. I really don't want to uh, spoil it for you, um, so I won't be spoiling Toy Story 4, but I will be spoiling Toy Stories 1, 2, and 3. Um, but given that um, Toy Story came out in 96, and Toy Story 2 came out in 99, and Toy Story 3 came out nine years ago, believe it or not, in 2010, I feel like I don't feel bad for you um, if you haven't seen them. Um, so we're going we're, we're to talk a little bit about these uh, stories. Toy Story is a great franchise. Toy Story 1, um, the, the, head, uh, the head guy, Woody, um, looks a little bit like I'm dressed today. Um, Woody kind of struggled with being the head honcho in the first one, right? Everything he had ever known was that he was Andy's favorite toy. He was the sheriff, right? He was he was the guy in charge. He got all the toys together. He came up with the plans. Uh, and he was Andy's favorite. And Andy loved Woody. Woody was Andy's favorite toy. I mean, he played with him all the time. Woody's spot was on Andy's bed, the only toy whose spot was on Andy's bed. Andy's, uh, Andy's bed looked like Woody. His wall decorations looked like Woody. Andy even dressed like Woody. Woody was his favorite, but then when he gets a new toy for his birthday, Buzz Lightyear, Woody starts freaking out. I mean, what? This guy is replacing me. Nah, that's my spot. Eventually, Andy's bed set changes to Buzz Lightyear. His wall decorations change to Buzz Lightyear. Andy starts dressing like Buzz Lightyear. And Woody has this tension how I used to be the guy, I used to be the favorite, and now all of a sudden, I'm being replaced. Now, as we go throughout the movie, uh, Woody goes from absolutely loathing, absolutely despising Buzz Lightyear to becoming best friends. Um, they wind up going through a lot together, and they find their way back to Andy, um, and Andy loves them both equally, and everything's good. Franchise could have ended there perfectly fine, right? Um, but Toy Story 2 comes along. And it was a pretty good movie, too. And it saw Woody struggling again with a little bit of an identity crisis. He struggled to find where he belongs. See, he had always belonged as Andy's toy. He knew that. He was Andy's favorite, and that's all he had ever known. But after unintentionally being put out at the curb at a garage sale, um, Andy gets stolen by a man who wants to put together the cast of Woody's Roundup, right? It was an old TV show that Woody didn't even remember, and Woody was a marionette puppet, and they did this awesome TV show and had all this memorabilia. And the whole movie, Woody is more and more convinced that he doesn't belong as Andy's toy anymore. He belongs as part of a cast, right? And then at the end of the movie, eventually after struggle and struggle, am I Andy's toy or am I part of a cast? He decides he's Andy's toy and he goes back home to be with Andy. And then Toy Story 3 saw Woody really struggle to move on from Andy. Andy was getting older, right? He was going to college. By the way, I watched this with my mom like a week before I left for college. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> she was in tears. But anyway... Um, <laughs> um, but Woody is, or Andy is moving on. And he doesn't need Woody and the rest of the gang anymore. But he does plan on keeping Woody while the rest eventually get donated to daycare. 
But Woody couldn't stand that. He couldn't stand just being by himself. He couldn't stand not being with Andy, and he couldn't stand being with the rest of his friends. So he went to daycare with the rest of his friends. He broke everybody out of the daycare, and eventually at the end, Woody, struggling to move on from everybody, from everything, finds that uh, he's better with somebody, with an owner of some sort, and, and Andy gives all of his toys to Bonnie. And the last toy in the box which he didn't mean to put in the box, but of course Woody found his way in, was Woody. And you see the tears in Andy's eyes as he looks at his favorite toy and eventually says, it's yours, Bonnie. And Bonnie takes Andy and Andy is, or, or takes Woody, and Woody is now Bonnie's toy. All that leading into Toy Story 4, and you could have cut the franchise after any one of the first three. It would have been a great ending either way. They all, they all ended great. They were all good movies. Um, my favorite was probably the first one for sure. Um, but you could have ended it all of them. But every movie up until Toy Story 4 struggled with some sort of identity crisis for Woody, right? In the first one, um, I, be- I Belong is Andy's favorite toy, right? Not somebody else. I Belong is Andy's favorite toy. The next one, do I belong as Andy's toy or am I a part of something greater? Am I a part of a cast of Woody's Roundup? And the third one, where do I belong now that Andy's moving on? Now that Andy's gone, where do I belong? And like I said, in Toy Story 3, Woody and the gang were given to a young girl named Bonnie. And in the movies, the sign of belonging, which you've seen the picture, the sign of belonging is that the owner will write his or her name on the bottom of the foot of the toy. That's when Woody knew Buzz Lightyear was a real threat when he saw that Buzz had Andy on the bottom of his foot. And we see in the beginning of Toy Story 4 that Bonnie has written her name on the bottom of Woody's foot. Woody is truly Bonnie's toy. And although Woody never forgot Andy, and he definitely never replaced Andy with Bonnie, he knew he belonged as Bonnie's toy because when he picked up his foot, he saw Bonnie's name. His loyalty was completely unwavered. He knew whose name was on his feet. He knew who he belonged to. And he was always dedicated to bringing joy and happiness and doing everything he could to make the life of his owner better. Woody's a great character. uh, And it's a great franchise. And, I mean, Woody's the best, right? He's, He's the main character in all of them. So keeping that in mind, I want to go straight into the text. And so if we're going to be in a little bit in all of the Gospels today, and I want to start in Luke. We're going to start in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to have it on the, on the screen, but if you want to follow along, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We're in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. And here's what it says. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. A few things are going on here. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He didn't really plan any, to spend any time in Jericho. He's just passing through. That's the way that the road goes. It's, it's a stop on the way. He might stop for lunch, which apparently may have been his plan. But he's not really staying in Jericho. But Jesus already had such a big crowd with him. 
right? He had the paparazzi, he had the fans, he had everybody wanting to get a glimpse of Jesus on the road, knowing he's coming through. Everyone wants to see Jesus. He's already done a whole bunch of miracles. He's already done a bunch of famous teachings. He's already had a bunch of conflict with the Pharisees and other religious elites. Jesus is the, is the man, and everybody wants to see him. In fact, he's actually on his way right now to Jerusalem to, for the triumphal entry, in which he needed a really large crowd to even do, right? Jesus already has a huge following at this point in his ministry. And it's interesting because Zacchaeus had actually heard of Jesus' fame, and it says Zacchaeus didn't want to meet Jesus. It didn't even say Zacchaeus wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. Like, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Like, you couldn't just open a newspaper and say, oh, Jesus is coming to town. I know that guy. Um, you can't just buy a bobblehead of Jesus back then and, you know, stick it on your car dashboard and watch it sway like the, next to the hula girl on your way down the highway. He wanted to see who Jesus was. I've heard about this Jesus. Everybody's talking, but I want, I want to see what he looks like. I want to see who he is. I want to see how he carries himself. I want to see if he does anything spectacular while he's here. And so he's curious, and he goes, and he looks to see Jesus, and he must have been standing behind uh, me and my brothers, um, because he was a short man and couldn't see anything. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm six foot four and the shortest of my five brothers, um, especially with this cowboy hat and these cowboy boots on, man, I, am, I feel like I'm towering over everybody right now, the power, oh. uh, <laughs> But just imagine, Jesus is on his way. And I know I've told you this a million, million times. I love basketball. I love the San Antonio Spurs. And I love my favorite player of all time. Who is it? Of course, like half of you know that, because I've only said Tim Duncan's name like a thousand times. Don't have idols, kids. Um, I love Tim Duncan, right? I love Tim Duncan. And I'm, I'm really sad because I'm at the point I feel like I have to describe who Tim Duncan is. Believe it or not, it's been three years since he's played basketball. And for any six- or seven-year-old kids in here, there are only three or four the last time he played, and they may not even remember a world where Tim Duncan played basketball. Isn't that sad? Anyway, I love Tim Duncan, and I can't imagine being on a road as Tim Duncan is walking by, and the whole crowd, all of San Antonio, right? Tim Duncan may be the most uh, culturally influential person in San Antonio in the last century, right? He is huge. He is a staple in San Antonio, a foundation of who the identity of San Antonio is. So you can imagine just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gathering as Tim Duncan might be walking down the street. And how amazing would I feel if Tim Duncan looked at me and said, hey, you, let's go play some basketball. I'm going to hang out with you today. That would be like a dream come true. And not only that, but think about that and, and elevate it. Think about Tim Duncan not just calling me out, but saying, Clark, let's go play basketball. Like think of the one celebrity you really want to meet. You probably will never meet them. Maybe you're at a concert with 30,000 people of your favorite, uh, your favorite artist or band. Or maybe you're on the red carpet premiere as uh, celebrities keep walking down to see their movie and you're lining the carpets with everybody else and there are hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, and the one person you really look up to who you've always enjoyed their product, they look at you and they don't just say, I'm hanging out with you today, they call you by name. And Zacchaeus already knew Jesus was the most famous man in the area, potentially the most famous man in the world. And he calls him by name. 
But Zacchaeus was a tax collector, the chief one. He was the worst of the worst. Man, he stole from people. He would get people's taxes and he would tell them that their taxes were more than they actually were. And what he would do is he would give the government what he had to and he would pocket the rest. And Zacchaeus was a rich man because he was ripping people off. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. Nobody liked tax collectors. And imagine the rest of the crowd when Jesus calls out by name a chief tax collector who was dirty, rotten scoundrel. Nobody liked him. He stole from people. And Jesus chooses to go with him. And Jesus claims to be religious. Jesus claims to be sent by God. You don't know who this guy is? But Jesus intentionally calls Zacchaeus from the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to hang out with you today. And it wasn't the only time that he called a tax collector either. In fact, one of his disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. And in Matthew chapter 9, we see in verses 10 through 13, immediately after Jesus calls Matthew, but by the way, Jesus didn't really call Matthew in an elaborate way. He, He just says, follow me. And Matthew's like, cool, man. Let's go. And Matthew follows Jesus. But immediately after this, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, or I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus says, look, all you religious elite, you think you're goody two-shoes, you think you're better than everybody else. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. Jesus says, no, you have it wrong. I came not just for you. I came for the sick. I came for the unrighteous, for the sinners, for those who need the gospel. It reminds me of the prodigal son. For those of you who aren't familiar, there was a man, a very rich man, who was in his elder years. He had two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son basically wished his father was dead. And he said, I want my inheritance now. I have no use for you other than your money. I'm going to take it and leave. And he runs away. He squanders all of the money in a distant land. He uses it on all kinds of uh, unholy things. He winds up having to get a job as a pig farmer, which in Jewish culture, working with pigs was really dirty, by the way, and the worst, one of the worst things you could do. And in the midst of a famine, and he has a hard time, he can't even eat, he wishes he could eat the pig slop he was feeding the pigs. He has a realization, and he says, my father's servants have it better than this. I'm going to go home and ask my father to just be his servant. And of course, his father sees him in the distance and runs to him, wraps his arms around him, gives him a ring, welcoming him back into the family, puts shoes on his feet, gives him a robe, and throws a party what's the older son do? Dad, you don't remember? He he wished you were dead. He, He took his inheritance and abandoned you. 
I've been here the whole time. Never threw me a party. What are you doing? And the father responds, look, you're going to get your reward. For I have not forgotten you've been with me this whole time. It's important. And I appreciate you and I love you. And don't think I've discounted what you've done for me. But behold, my son was lost and now he's found. And that's what Jesus is saying here to the religious elite. Look, you don't get it. I appreciate what you've done for me. I appreciate that you are a devout Christian, a God follower, someone who follows the law. But here's the deal. I ain't come for you. I came for the sinners, for the outcasts. I came for for the sick because healthy don't need a physician, but the sick do. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, look, I can hang out with whoever I want because everybody gets the reward, right? Everyone who follows me. But I came to call out specifically the sick and the unrighteous. I know I've read this to you probably a million times. It's very influential for me uh, in, my, in my ministry. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Here's what it says. The people of the city were bringing children to Jesus so that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was angry. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them and he laid his hands on them. Look, children back then, they weren't really full members of society. They weren't valuable at all. They they had no worth. They were just in the way, snotty-nosed brats. They, eat it, they, they ate, they slept, they pooped. That's about it. Especially here because the word here, by the way, kids, this word is in your kids' bulletin. The word here is paideia, which is a conjugation of the word paidos, which means infant. So these kids were toddlers and younger. Okay. So kids, by the way, show me your kids' bulletin at the end. I want to see how well you do with writing the word paidos. That'll be... Pretty, pretty fun in Greek. But Jesus says, no, the least of the least, the most unimportant in that, that are here, like the little kids that have no value in our society, they're valuable to me. Bring them to me. Because that's who, I've call, that's who I've come to call out. That's who I've come to claim. That's who I've come to heal. Because Jesus came not just for the healthy, but he came For the sake, he came not just for the important, but he came for the outcasts. We've read in in every gospel except John, so, I mean, we don't make John feel left out. So, Uh, we're going to be, read a few more verses in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Jesus laid aside his outer garments, which, let me preface this. They're at the Last Supper. They're celebrating the Passover, Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is about to be sent uh, to trial, where he will um, be sent to the cross and, and be crucified. This is last real quality time, uh, maybe, that we're going to see him around the table with his, with his disciples. So Jesus laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter. 
And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Look, Jesus is taking the lowest of low. I've I've told the kids this, I know, a thousand times. Right? What's the nastiest, grossest, lowest job you could have? Washing feet. I mean, think about it. Back then, they didn't have cowboy boots. They didn't have Air Jordans, which is what I would prefer to wear on a regular daily basis. They've had very few, if any, closed-toed shoes. They had sandals or went barefoot. They didn't have very many concrete roads. Um, There's a lot of dirt roads. They didn't have very good plumbing. They shared the road with donkeys and camels and horses, and they didn't really go out of their way to use the restroom. Feet were nasty. And it wasn't just a servant's job, but it was the lowest-ranking servant's job to clean the feet of the guests. And Jesus intentionally places himself in the lowest possible place he can and cleans his disciples' feet, which is why Peter says, no, not mine. You will never be that low to me. I should be washing your feet. You will never wash my feet. But Jesus says, no, you don't understand what this is. I am writing my name on the bottom of your foot because I have come to serve you. That's why I'm here. And if you don't let me wash you, if you don't let the blood of the cross wash over you and heal you and cleanse you, then you will have no share in the kingdom. And Jesus, what he's doing here is he's writing his name on the bottom of his disciples' feet, on on all of them, on Peter, James, and John, on his three best friends, right? But also on Matthew, on Andrew, Thaddeus, James, the other James, the son of Alphaeus, Bartholomew, Philip, Thomas, the other Simon. And get this. Even knowing Judas was going to betray him, Jesus washed Judas' feet. Let that sink in. Like He didn't just come for the best of the best. He, he, he came for everybody. He didn't just come for the superstars, the all-stars, the starters, the role players, the bench warmers, the traitors. Like Jesus came and he wrote his name on everyone. He has called us all out. He has written his name on the bottom of our feet. And he said, you are mine. He's called you by name. And he said, I want you to be a part of the kingdom. Look, the story of Toy Story and Woody and the whole Toy Story saga is an incredible character. He's the most loyal, most faithful, most unwavering toy and in the world, he does everything he can to help his owner feel loved, to help his owner be happy, to do what his owner wants him to do. And now let me ask you this. Jesus has called you out. Jesus has made you his. And what do you do for the kingdom? I can't answer that for you, but I want to challenge you to ask yourself this this week. What do you do for the kingdom? Because Christ has called you. Lift up your shoe. 
Look on your heart. His name is on you. He has singled you out by name and called you to be a part of the kingdom. And it is our job to be faithful, to be loyal, to be unwavering, and to do whatever we can for the betterment of the kingdom. So let's use Woody as an example. Because Jesus has called us. Now let's do our best to do what's best for the kingdom.